Welcome to The Kingstonian, a podcast that profiles people who are passionate about what they do for a living, what organization they belong to, or the community they are a part of. Here is your host, Dave Cunningham. Thank you, Steve. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Six years ago, The Kingstonian sat down with Mark Gerritsen and his dad, John, chatting about their mutual experiences as politicians at different levels of government. John was mayor of this city and a member of the provincial legislature. Mark spent time as mayor as well and now sits as the representative for this area in the federal parliament in Ottawa. In a later episode, I followed up with John and now it's Mark's turn. I sat down with him in mid-November of 2023 to talk about his passion for politics in a nonpartisan way and learn a little bit more about the duties and responsibilities of an MP. Here is our conversation. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be with you. I guess this is welcome back because back in the days when the Kingstonian was just a radio show, and this goes back seven years, almost exactly seven years, you and your dad came on the show and did a program together, which was kind of fun. And uh, speaking of dad, I guess we should tell those folks who may not be aware, who may not live in Kingston, that your dad is John Gerritsen, who spent 16 years on city council and eight of them as mayor. And he was also a member of the provincial legislature for about 19 years. So my first question is, what was it about his journey that got you interested in politics? Well, um, if there was anything about uh, his journey that got me interested in it, I didn't realize it till I was much older. Um, I always tell people that the two people that were the most surprised when I said I wanted to run for city council were both my parents. Um, I don't think you could, <laughs> they wouldn't have been able to predict it. Um, but I mean, I was certainly exposed throughout my life to what politics was about um, and how it impacted people both positively and negatively and whether i really appreciated it at the time um i think it was more subconscious but it was later in my my late 20s and right around you know maybe around when i was turning 30 around that time that i started to have a lot of conversations with people um who were involved with various different things going on in our community at the time it was the building of the LVEC, the large venue entertainment center in downtown Kingston. And as you might recall, there was a lot of controversy over that. And I just, we just started to have these debates over what was right for the city and what wasn't. And then finally one day I said, you know what, I think I'm going to run for city council. And and that's how it kind of started. And, and both my parents were really surprised by it. Although the vast majority of folks out there think I just got involved in politics because my father wasn't, I can totally understand that. Um, certainly was a huge influence, but it 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 was really those one-on-one conversations with um, friends and colleagues about you know how to make our community better. We'll get back to that debate thing a bit later on. But when you decided to run for city council, this so this would be the 2006-2010 term. Mm -hmm. So when you were thinking about running, what were the issues that you were passionate about as you contemplated that first run? Um, The building of the large venue entertainment center in downtown Kingston, which, I mean, it's hard to argue that that was the best place uh, for it to be built. However, at the time, there was a lot of discussion about, well, why don't we look at how other cities have done it? A lot of other cities have put these venues 
in the the suburbs or, or out by the highway and there was a lot of back and forth on this and that was one of them the other one was uh uh kedco uh kedco is a kingston economic development corporation was going through a lot of turmoil at the time and there was a lot of public uh, um opinion uh, generated on that uh so that was another thing um that uh, uh that uh, I, I can remember talking about and i can also remember the environment um one of the reasons why i got involved in politics i'll never forget you know i remember sitting on a patio um in ottawa with a friend of mine and it was 2006 2005 ish and we were talking about the impact on the environment the environment was going to have on our world and in particular Canada and it was just something you know that I just felt like something needs to be done about and I think those were you know some of the other conversations that I was having was was on that topic you spent four years as a councillor and then you decided to run for mayor in 2010 when you put on that chain of office in your first few days as mayor, what was your intent in terms of things you were going to focus on at that particular point? Well, at the time, we had just um, experienced a lot of uh, high property taxes in Kingston from around 2000 to 2007, 2008. Um the city of Kingston, through the leadership of Harvey Rosen, um, who did incredible things at the time in terms of having the insight into in in terms of what needed to be done, realized that we had uh, Har Harvey Rosen realized we had aging infrastructure that needed to be uh, addressed, and that we weren't collecting enough taxes for it. We were basically only collecting enough taxes at the time in order to pay for the expenses, but not rehabilitation of any infrastructure. And so he led the charge with um, uh, city council to to raise uh, taxes, and but they had raised been raised pretty high. Some years it was eight and nine percent, if not higher. And so when I first got into office, one of my objectives was okay, we've had this period of increased taxes, we've now been able to start building up our reserve funds. We now have a hold on what the the future looks like in terms of our ability to rebuild now we have to rein that in and so we were able to do that by um with the target of keeping our property tax increases to those to that of inflation and so we were quite um successful of it at the time and th and then uh you know there were some other things uh, in terms of i'm um, trying to bring council together council had been quite you know, um, divided and it had been, things have been quite controversial over the, over the preceding years. And that was another objective of mine. So early on, I, 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 it's funny, just the other day I was going through a notebook and I found, um, every, a notebook on a, every single city councillor, the 12 councillors that were elected when I was elected mayor, I had sit, sat down with them to get their priorities, to understand where the commonalities were with each other and where the differences were. And, um, you know, so it was about that kind of like building a team kind of speak, uh, sort of speak. And, you know, uh, sometimes we can disagree, but um, providing that we can, you know, do it with a certain degree of empathy and a certain degree of understanding, I think is most important. And, and we kind of started to get to that place, uh, in my opinion. So when you finished up your term as mayor, when you look back on those four years, anything stick out as in terms of accomplishments? Did you formulate that team that you were talking about? 
Um, <laughs> that proved to be, if I'm being completely honest, I think that proved to be a little harder than I thought. Um, uh, there, I, I certainly, there were certainly challenging moments, but at the end of the day, I think when we look back on the four years, we did good things for the city of Kingston. We encouraged, um, and pushed forward in terms of, um, uh, intensification in the city, uh, increasing density. We worked on a number of big non-sexy infrastructure projects like the big dig in downtown Kingston of of getting ready to replace the underground services um, uh, along Princess Street. We um, uh, um, uh, purchased a lot of the land and made the plans for uh, the third crossing and started to work with other levels of government, which I got to participate in federally later on, uh, to securing that funding. Um, and of course, the one thing that I mentioned at the beginning that we were seeking to do was to keep those property tax rates down. And we were able to successfully do that over the four-year period. And um, to their credit, ever since then with Mayor Patterson, they've pretty much been able to hold that that as well. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, when we look back, um, um, we looked back on it as though we were a city council that was able to accomplish uh, uh, a number of really, really important things that the city needed at the time. Let's uh, move ahead to 2015. Hmm. And an opportunity comes up when the uh, sitting member of parliament in Ottawa for Kingston and the islands, Ted Shu, decided that he was not going to run again for the 2015 election. So you jump into the fray. But well, the first step in the process for those people listening who may not be aware of the process is that you have to get the nomination for your party to be able to run in the election. And I'd like to take a minute and sort of digress a little bit and have you talk a little bit about the importance of the party uh, in general terms, like a, a political party in terms of helping a candidate get a nomination and the importance of the volunteers that seem to come out of the woodwork when you really need them it's a, a, a an excellent question and the, and uh, i think what a lot of people don't realize is that uh, within your political party you go through this nomination process of becoming the candidate and as you as you indicated ted shu who had been the um, previous member of parliament i mean he was set to run again in 2004 the summer of 2014 i actually remember signing his nomination paper um, when he was collecting signatures and then suddenly in and 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 to the shock of many, uh, I'll never forget. It was in middle of August of 2014. Um, there was an announcement. I think I heard it on the radio that Ted Shu had decided he wasn't going to to run again. And I was really surprised, um, given that he had been lining up to do that. Um, but then suddenly, there, I you know, I was confronted with well. You know, we were just heading towards the 2014 municipal election, and I thought, well, do I run again for mayor because that's what I had intended on doing, or, you know, do I try something else where I think I can help out and contribute in another way? And ultimately, I decided I would go through that. Uh, uh, I would um, run. I would attempt to run federally. So first, I was confronted with our nomination, and um, it was myself and four uh, four other excellent uh, individuals who had put their names forward. Um, the party was very clear about it. Um, they said, um, you know, we're not endorsing one candidate or the other. It's an open nomination. Um, go out, engage people, sign people up, get people to vote for you, do everything you need to do, um, and may the best person win kind of thing. And so um, I I did that. I, I uh, you know, I, I, can, I can still remember Halloween of 2014 um, sitting 
uh, and calling people. And I knew they'd be home because they'd be sitting out, they'd be sitting waiting to hand out candy. <laughs> and I would call them up and, and I'd say, it's it's Mark Erickson calling. I'm, I'm running for the nomination. Can I count on your support? Do you have any questions for me? And I, I would talk to, uh, you know, in, engaging with people. And I think, and, and it's funny because uh, a number of the volunteers that you talk about that kind of come forward are people that I made phone calls to back in 2014. One individual who was 17 years old at the time, he actually turned 18 on election day in October of 2015. So he got to vote for on his on his 18th birthday. Uh, later, uh, went away to school, but then came back and, and now works for me in, in Ottawa. And he says the reason why he voted for me and helped me in the 2015 nomination was because he was an identified liberal on the list and I happened to call him and he answered the phone and we had a chat about it. And the reality is I was calling so many people at the time that yep. I don't even remember talking to him, but the point is, is that that's how you engage. Like it's one in a nomination process is one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. Um, you can't rely on social media to do the work for you. You, you gotta like talk to people individually. And so through that process, I was very fortunate uh, to become uh, the candidate. And and within the Liberal Party, we have a ranked ballot. So basically you rank uh, um, your, your choices. Um, and so it, it creates for a different environment um, in terms of the the actual election process because you don't it's not you against everybody else um, it's you and then trying to find commonalities with the other candidates because you're hoping that their supporters will put you down as the number two choice mm -hmm. and that's essentially you know the, the process and I was I was very fortunate fortunate enough to have been selected and then obviously ran in the the subsequent election in 2015. How does it differ between the business of contacting people to get the nomination and then contacting people to get their vote in the actual election? Because you're not talking to the same crowd. You're not. So once you get elected and you are then elected in the nomination and you become the candidate, um, I mean, up to that point, you're, you're already talking, you're, only talking to people who already agree with you. And I mean, they're part of your political party for the most part, um, um, you know, values align because you're all liberals. After that point, you're now as the candidate out into a general election where now you're interacting with everybody. You're interacting with those that support other political parties. You're interacting with those that um, might, uh, you know, disagree completely with your stance on something. Um, and that was, uh, um, you know, it's it's a it's a different it's a different beast, so to speak. I mean, like the engagement is different. Um, it's not it's not always uh, um, happy people that you're engaging with or people that you that that you that agree with you. Um, and so so your messaging is is, is definitely different. Um, you're now not just selling yourself as you are in a nomination process. You're also selling the in my case the liberal brand or or whom whatever political party one might belong to um and so so it certainly is different it's a lot more cold calling it's a lot more uh engagement um in debates uh with people who um disagree it's not necessarily about the how but becomes more about the why uh you know in 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 the um uh, debates between political parties you're debating why more often and when it's within a political party it's more how and so uh, it, it changes definitely the the manner uh, of engagement and uh, um, because it depends on um, convincing people that uh, your set of values that surround your party are, are better than the alternatives mm -hmm. sidebar conversation with respect to turnout 
Yeah. It's always a topic that comes out uh, for people who do actually go out and vote on a regular basis. It's very frustrating when you hear the numbers after the election as to how many people bothered to go out and vote. So as someone who has participated at the municipal level and at the federal level, and you have the experience of watching your dad at the provincial level, this business of turnout, any opinions on how you get people to turn out in bigger numbers to express their opinions? It's a great question. Um, I always hear the excuse from people, well, I didn't vote because it. I don't feel as though my vote counts, or I feel as though... Um, you know, nobody represents my my needs. Um, you know, I think the most important thing is that people vote. And there's a way to express your di- dissatisfaction with all the parties, and that's to spoil your ballot. But at least you've picked up your ballot. You've picked up the ballot and you're consciously making an effort saying, I don't support any of these, these candidates. So I, I, I spoil my ballot. Now that, that to a lot of people that's, that sounds like, well, that's just a waste of time. Why would you do that? Um, at the end of the day, I think that it's, it's, you know, the turnout, the, you still contribute to the turnout when you do that, you're still making a point when you do that. Um, but I also think to the larger question that you're asking of how do you encourage people who don't even do that to get out, it's really important um, that people recognize that the democratic process is based on the collective. And when we focus too much on the individual, uh, we can lose sight of the collective. And the collective only works when the individual exercises their responsibility. And so when you ask the question of how do you get more people involved? Well, I think for starters, you got to, people have to understand and appreciate why their individual participation is so important to that collective. And then once you conquer that, then you got to make sure that you can find the candidate or party that best represents your particular view and your particular interest on things. Now, listen, there you will never find a party, a political organization that you 100% agree with. I don't 100% agree with everything uh, and every position that the Liberal Party takes. And, and from time to time, I'll even voice that through my vote in Parliament. Um, on on various different issues, it, and it's happened over like over the last eight years. I've probably voted against um, the consensus of the Liberal Party uh, on at least a dozen times. But you 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 have to appreciate that the reason why the Westminster parliamentary system has these parties is not because you're going to agree completely with everything that one party stands for, but rather that you see and recognize that your common values are best represented within one party or another. And so people have to find that place and they have to find where they best fit. And I think that that happens through education and engagement. And um, it's unfortunate, but you're seeing, you see this through um, part, you see this through Western democracies throughout the world of the participation low, uh, getting lower, lower and lower. Having said that, the participation in our particular riding um, in Kingston, the islands, 
is uh, one of, I believe, the more healthier ones in the country. And I think that's because we have uh, um, a large public uh, force, uh, sector force here that understand perhaps a little bit more, a little bit better the importance of of voting. So our, we do tend to um, be at the at, at the higher end of participation at any given election. So you walk into the House of Commons for the first time. Most important issue in your head that you want to address when you walk into the House? Two things I had been elected on and that I was fighting for and that stemmed from my time as mayor was one, reopening the prison farms. Uh, we have a lot of prisons in the area surrounding Kingston. Um, six, uh, six in the, you know, within within. 40 or 50 kilometers of Kingston and we know that the at the time that the, this issue was really important for Kingstonians um and people in the area and the second was getting funding for building the third crossing of the Cataraqui River which is now the Wabin crossing which has been built those were the two most important things um and I can vividly remember my my first two meetings the first with Ralph Goodale who is no longer in the House of Commons he was defeated in the 2019 election he was the minister of public uh, he was the Minister of, of Public Safety, which oversaw Corrections Canada, and we worked together to reopen. And then um, uh, Amarjeet Sohi, who is the who was the Minister of Infrastructure at the time, who was also defeated in 2019, but is now the Mayor of Edmonton. Uh, he was the Minister of Infrastructure at the time, and I can remember several meetings with him of sitting down to talk about, you know, this project, uh, um, a new bridge, and the City of Kingston really needed a third. Uh, of the funding from the federal government. And eventually uh, everything kind of aligned and, and, it, and it worked out. One of the things that I'm interested in with respect to an MP when uh, they first show up in the House of Commons. So you come from a background that could be municipal or provincial politics or maybe just business or whatever, but you get into the House of Commons and you have a list of things that you want to accomplish to help your writing. The thing that I'm curious about is that you are part of that collective that we talked about before inside your particular party. And if your party is in on the government side of the House of Commons, you also have to make yourself aware of all the other issues that are happening in the country and internationally. And uh, how does one go about doing that for the first time and how long does it take? Well, it takes a very long time. I would say that I would say that for me, I shouldn't say that. It takes varying degrees of time for different people. I'm the kind of person that gets there and through trial and error kind of stumbles around until I find the com my comfortable place. And I would say that that took me about three years, if I'm being completely honest, by the time that I was uh, comfortable in I started to understand and had a decent grasp on the issues at the at the beginning I was on the environment the standing committee for the environment and the standing committee for national defense and those would have been the two areas that I learned the most about the quickest um, but as time went on and and I started to participate in more debates in the House of Commons I started to get a better grasp of all of those issues that are around uh, um, that, 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 that the country started. and I think that one of one of the things that you know was of the of of the, the that opened my eyes the the most to the diversity of our country is I'll never like is is the diversity of interests throughout our our country. Like, I mean, I remember my seatmate at the time when I was first elected was from Kelowna, BC, and 
what mattered to Kelowna versus what mattered to Eastern Ontario was almost night and day. Like they were just like, you know, the issues were completely, completely different. And so I really got a much better understanding. I've since become friends with uh, a number of MPs from Atlantic Canada. And again, what matters to Atlantic Canada is quite often different than what matters to uh, uh, Southeastern Ontario. But you get this understanding and you get an appreciation of, of what is 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 key throughout uh, um, the country. And, and, you know, it was through conversations and through these various different debates that I, I really started to get a much better handle on it. And, you know, just going back to one other thing you said, Dave, which is that um, you know, I was part of the governing party when I went in there, and indeed I was. Um, and and that certainly helped me to advance the issues for my riding. But it but it doesn't mean that you can't if you're not an, a member of the governing party. And a perfect example of that is Ted Shu, who was the member before me. Ted was in opposition at the time. The, the Liberals were a small party of only 34, 35 members at the time. But Ted had the ability to walk across the aisle and talk to the conservative uh, ministers at the time and actually get things done for Kingston. Uh, so you don't have to be in the governing party to be effect an effective representative for local issues. Uh, and Ted is a perfect example of that. You alluded to the discussion that you had when you first got there about the third crossing. So the third crossing, as you mentioned, is a bridge that takes people from one end of the city to the other. There are two other uh, crossings. One is a, a major highway and the other is a, is a bridge that sometimes gets clogged with for all kinds of different reasons, but sometimes it's not an effective way to get across town. So this third crossing has been on the front pages of the local paper for years and years trying to get the money. So I'm curious to know how an MP for the riding can sit down and talk to the Minister of Infrastructure and get the money that you were able to get from the federal government to complete the project. How the process of you actually getting the money. Yeah. Okay. So for, for starters, it's not the third crossing. It's actually the fourth crossing. I don't know why we called it the third crossing. There's Kingston Mills as well, oh, which is <laughs> another crossing. I don't know if I don't know if third meant that we excluded the 401 originally or that we never thought of uh, Kingston Mills. But um, the it, the third crossing is actually the fourth crossing. But in anyways, that that that's that, that's the, that's just a, a interesting point um, to observe. Um, in terms of how you do that, uh, listen, the, the 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 I have to pay credit where credit is due. And the reality is, is that the city of Kingston talked about the third crossing for decades and it went back and forth. And, and before you could even go to the federal or provincial governments and say, we want money or we need money for to help with this, you needed the city of Kingston to prioritize this as a priority of the city and to start getting to the point where you could go in and start to sit down with the other levels of government. And where credit is due is that the city councillor that was there, that I over that I was on council with between 2006 and 2010 was Leonore Foster, Foster who was the, the, the city councillor for Pittsburgh. And this was her passion. She successfully convinced a majority of council why we needed to do the environmental assessment of the third crossing, which was the first step. She successfully um, convinced city council why we needed to start buying the land on both sides of the crossing. It was really her her initiative that took us from the the dream to the reality. And once we were at the reality and we had done these studies and we had prepared it, then the next 
stage, quite honestly, is a lot easier because then when I sit down, I can sit down and say, look, we've been talking about this for decades. We're at the point where we're ready to roll with it. You know, we've figured out the costing of it. This is going to cost the the federal government approximately $60 million. Uh, the, the municipality will put in the same. We're going to ask the province for the same. And it, it develops the package a lot better and you can sell it a lot easier. So, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't me being there and being on the governing side that was really the catalyst of making this happen. It was the fact that the city had put together a solid plan and was ready to start advocating. And yes, I was involved in putting together that plan during my time on city council, but it was really Councillor Leonor Foster, who was the ringleader behind that and, and, and rightly, in my opinion, deserves the credit for getting us there. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about debating. We mentioned the word a little while ago, and I'm curious to know, we all know that the House of Commons is a place where, and I'm simply uh, simplifying this, is where laws are developed and discussed and eventually passed and all in, basically designed to make the country a better place to live in. So the process of debating, is that something you enjoy doing? Very much so. And it's something that I've come to enjoy doing. Uh, over the last few years. I mean, um, it's why uh, I think I was asked to be a parliamentary secretary to our government house leader. And then why in this, uh, since the last, uh, or since the uh, cabinet shuffle in, in the, the summer, I was asked to be the deputy house leader um, because it's it's clear, I think, to anybody who's in the House of Commons, whether you're on my side or not, um, that I enjoy being in there and I enjoy speaking in the house and I enjoy asking questions in the house. And I enjoy pushing for the values that I believe the majority of uh, Kingstonians uh, uh, want to see in their representative and doing so, um, you know, it, it, it has become a passion of mine. I wouldn't say that it was when I got there. Um, I was still learning and um, trying to figure out uh, my way, but it's become a passion of mine. Uh, it's become, I believe, one of my strengths. And that's um, how I've been able to utilize that for the betterment of the team. That's not to say that, you know, um, debating in the house is more important than committee work. You know, I have colleagues that are incredible at committee. I have colleagues that are incredible at studying issues and being able to, you know, put forward objectives based on that incredible work. So, you know, being in the house of commons and in particular within your political party really is te a team work. There are certain people that are good at certain things. Uh, and I think that at least right now I've found my place uh, where I can contribute the most in the House of Commons debating. So I certainly do enjoy that. What does the deputy leader in the House do? Like, what would your duties be? That's an excellent question. So the the leader, uh, the, the government leader in the House of Commons is um, the person that's responsible, the ministry that's responsible for ushering through legislation through the House of Commons. So deciding what we will debate on what day, deciding how much time we should allocate to each particular bill, working with the other House leaders uh, from the other political parties to you know say how much time do we need to debate on this have we debated this enough can we now send it to committee um you know when when will we be done with this so we can send it over to the senate Li quite literally just you know working on how things are processed through the house also and also leading the debates on issues so um getting up and and, and being available to speak to various different issues so the deputy who's my case is i'm 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 the deputy to karina gould uh, who is the house leader um and uh we work together um you know uh, in the house of commons and 
on the premise of of West Block, where the chamber is located, to work with other political parties, uh, as well as to lead debates in the House of Commons to see legislation get through. Because I, I you know, I, I can appreciate the fact that the average Canadian probably doesn't understand the lengthy process that it takes to go from an idea to a law, but it is certainly, you know, very. And um, uh, there's a very intensive, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, you know, there are a lot of steps through in the House of Commons and committee before it then goes to the Senate and does the same thing there. And this is all designed this way. Our Westminster parliamentary system is designed this way to make sure that you can't just have a law that is created on a whim and imposed upon people, but that, but that instead laws go through several steps of deliberation to ensure that if there are flaws in them, the opportunity for those flaws have continuous or improvements have continuous uh, opportunities to be uh, brought brought forward. And 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 so, as a deputy, I, I assist the House Leader with uh, that process through through the House of Commons. The riding that you represent for those people living outside Kingston is about two hours away from where all the action is in Ottawa. Now, I gather you spend some of your time there in Ottawa and you spend some of your time in your constituency. Um, what's the breakdown of how much time you spend here versus there? And so, what do you do in either place? Yeah, okay. Excellent question. So half, I, I'd say it's it's roughly 26 of 52 weeks of the year, the House of Commons sits. And so a typical sitting week is Monday to Friday, unless uh, you know there happens to be um, a special occasion or a holiday where that doesn't line up. Um, so quite often, uh, so I'm on a one week constituency week right now. So right now the House of Commons isn't sitting right now. So I'm back in, in Kingston. But then after this week, we sit for four weeks in a row. I'm very fortunate because I do only live two hours uh, uh, away. I can go up on Monday morning and then come back Friday afternoon, which is what I typically do. Um, and, uh, you know, the difference um, when I'm in Ottawa Everything is, unless I'm, you know, advocating for something that's local, I'm, you know, using what I've collected when I'm in my riding by engaging with um, constituents. And that engagement can be formal, as in someone comes to see me in my office, but it can also be informal, where I'm in Costco and somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I want to talk to you about this. And trust me, that happens a lot. Um, and and then I take that and I, and I use what I'm building in terms of how I feel I can best represent my constituents when I get back to Ottawa. And so uh, any, I mean, when I'm in Ottawa, it's like you know, 7.30 in the morning until 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, kind of like days. Um, so it's busy and it's with work and uh, um, co like committee work and in the House of Commons and various different stakeholders that want to meet. Uh, and then when I'm back in the riding, it's it's a little it's a little bit more um, in terms of uh, um, on, by appointment, somebody will schedule something with me, um, and and a little and, and certainly less less uh, more informal. How big a staff does an MP have aside um, from a cabinet person? Um, so a, a typical MP's office. Uh, well, we're given a budget, and that budget can include lots of things from uh, advertising to um, rental of constituency office space. Some people that rep that have larger ridings geographically that might need to have two offices um, will have a slightly larger budget. And then it's up to our discretion on how we utilize the budget, including the staffing component. 
some people, you know, choose to have, you know, two, two or three staff in Ottawa and two or three staff back in the riding. Uh, other people like myself put more of the staff in the riding. I have one person in Ottawa and then I have about, I have three, one, two, four full-time, <laughs> four, four, four full-time in Kingston. And then, and, and then in the summer we employ some queen students that, uh, that will do like an internship uh, that, that where they're paid um, um, and they, they work varying numbers of hours uh, um, per, per week. Um, so, you know, I, I'd say we, I have about, um, you know, in, in total, when you consider, consider part-time employees, probably about seven employees. Mm-hmm. If you didn't have this passion for politics, what other career do you think you might have taken on? Um, I'm, if, you know, a lot of people, if you, if you're looking for me in Kingston, you should go to head to Home Depot because you'll quite often find me. <laughs> I, I am a, I am a really handy person that likes to build things. I like to renovate things. I, I, I renovate my own uh, home and every house that I've lived in. I have a passion for building. And had I not uh, gotten into politics when I did, I probably would have got into more of the um, construction and a contracting world and who knows maybe one day i still will and you're and you're looking for all those new tools that are on the shelves and in home depot and, and they're so addictive uh, <laughs> <laughs> i can find a reason to buy any of them put it that way even though i probably don't need them <laughs> now i think a lot of people know it's not easy being a politician it's not easy on the family as well. And so I want to thank you for your service and thank your family as well. And thanks for the time today. Thank you. It's been great talking to you, Dave. My guest in this episode was Mark Gerritsen, the Member of Parliament in Ottawa for Kingston and the Islands. His contact information can be found in the liner notes. For those of you who have taken the time to listen, thank you. And I'll be back soon with another conversation. The theme music for the podcast is Stasis Oasis, written and performed by Kingston musician Tim Aylesworth. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about any of the episodes, please send a note to the Kingstonian podcast at gmail.com. For details on upcoming guests, follow us on Facebook. The Kingstonian podcast is hosted by Dave Cunningham and produced in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. 